Now, we continue our look at the gospel according to the Apostle John. Last week, John recorded a miracle where Jesus spit into the dust, made some mud, applied it to the eyes of a man who had been blind from birth. Then that man obeyed Jesus and went to a pool called Siloam and washed the mud away and his sight was restored. He then returned to his neighborhood, to the exact same corner where he had been begging for years and years, suddenly able to see. Now, how would you respond if one of your neighbors, who you knew was blind, was suddenly miraculously able to see? And you asked them, hey, I didn't realize you were getting LASIK. And they responded, not LASIK, mud. You would probably be a little skeptical. Well, let's listen and see how much reactions have changed over the past 2,000 years. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What did you say? What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? And how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who it was that opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ... He was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not do anything. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Now Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. 
He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us this morning. Oh God, we come to your word and we hear the things said about what Jesus has done. We hear Jesus' words. And it is tempting for us to assign ourselves particular roles in this scenario, to side with certain parties. But I pray that you would send your spirit to us this morning to help us be patient, to hear you tell us who we are. Open our hearts to the possibility and the reality that we are blind, and help us hear the words of healing and life from Jesus this morning. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain, and I pray this in the name of Jesus himself. Amen. Fifteen years ago, I was a youth pastor at a large church in Atlanta, Georgia, and one Sunday, the middle school youth group played a game where all the kids were paired up. One of the students had to put a blindfold on. The other person of the team was responsible for giving verbal commands to help get the blindfolded teammate all the way down the church to the other side of the room. Now, all the tables and chairs had been cleared out. They were pushed up against one wall, and at the far end was a volunteer with their hand out. The point of the game was to be the first team whose blindfolded teammate was all the way down at that end and touched the hand of the volunteer. So at the count of three, two, one, all of the non-blindfolded teammates began shouting clues, go forward, walk forward, step left, step right, watch out, all those kinds of things. And all of the blindfolded students put out their hands and began to slowly and timidly step forward, all except for one, one impetuous middle school boy named Will who took off running as fast as he could, full sprint, past the volunteer at the end, and boom, right into the stacks of tables and chairs at the other end, flipped head over heels. He had these massive blue and black uh, bruises swelling on his legs. That was not a fun phone call to make to his mom. Not being able to see can be dangerous, but what Jesus says here in this passage, is that not knowing you're blind can be disastrous. The author, C.S. Lewis, famously wrote that a man who did the things Jesus did and said the things that Jesus said was either a bold-faced liar, a raving lunatic, or he was Lord of all. And that is the exact conundrum placed before all parties involved in this conversation. How was this man who was born blind able to see. And Jesus' limited role in the discussion shows us that what's really at stake is how you see Jesus. What role do you see Him playing in your story? Your life story, yes, beginning to end, but also in your day-to-day story. Do you see Him helping to rearrange and to make sense of the different pieces of your life that sometimes can be confusing? 
Do you see Him reinforcing and supporting the way with which you see and interact with the world? Or do you, like this man who was healed, realize that without the words and actions of Jesus, you can see nothing at all? This passage tells us that the seers judge and will be judged, but the blind are healed and will worship. I've got just two points this morning. They are a little long, but there's only two, so I think you can hang with me. The first, the seers judge and will be judged. Now, both these points all come out of Jesus' comment in verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, it makes sense that there is one person that was blind and was able to see in this passage, so we know who Jesus is talking about in that first clause. We'll talk about that in a minute. But who does He make blind? Who is it that can see? Who is He talking about here? The Pharisees. They are struggling to reconcile two realities of this miraculous healing. On the one hand, only someone who had been sent by God could heal a man born blind. And at the same time, on the other hand, no one who worked on the Sabbath could be from God because they were a sinner. They see these two truths at work, and they know that these two things cannot coexist, and so they settle on skepticism. Skepticism that this man was actually blind, that he was actually healed by Jesus. That's why they ask him repeatedly, tell us what happened again. Prove that you were actually blind. That's why they call his parents to come get involved in this scenario. They're saying, there's just no way Running underneath their conversation and their confusion is this ribbon of pride. They say there's just no way as a precursor to the thing they don't say, because we know all the ways, and this is not one of them. We see and know how people can be healed, and this does not fit what we know to be true. It's pride. It's self-confidence. It's arrogance. They have become, in their own minds, the arbiters of true healing, of true faithfulness, of reality in some sense. Only they can see religious things clearly, no matter what anyone else has to say. I was on a plane back from Florida this past week, and we were flying into Phoenix. Off to the right side of the plane was the city of Flagstaff, and in the northern part of Flagstaff there is a mountain called Humphreys Now, one side of Humphreys Peak is curved in a little bit. It looks kind of like a bowl. In fact, the ski resort that's there is called Snowbowl. And the guy in the row behind me looked out at the mountain, and he said, look, it's Mount St. Helens. The woman sitting next to him said, I think Mount St. Helens is in Washington. And he said, no, look at the side of it. It's all blown away from where it erupted in the 80s. I'm pretty sure that's Mount St. Helens. And I thought in my head, that's so ridiculous. But that scenario, that conversation stuck in my head for the last 72 hours, and not because of his arrogant mistake, but because I realize how my arrogance and my pride is not on the surface like that. It's much more sinister, much less obvious I thought, I just don't mistake mountains. 
in Arizona for mountains in Washington. I, generally speaking, know where I'm at at all times and where major landmarks like Mount St. Helens are. Do you hear the pride in that voice? Do you hear my arrogance? And I've realized that behind all of it is a judgmentalism and the thought that if you were just observant like me, if you reasoned the way that I reason, if you remembered facts and figures like me, if you just saw the world the way I see it, you wouldn't look so foolish. I can see. Why can't you? And here's the thing. That prideful voice I have heard more and more frequently toward people who fall short of my right way. The man in the plane and I are not very different. The hard thing is that the Pharisees and I are not that different because we both tend to see ourselves as the only ones who see rightly, and so placing ourselves in the seat of a judge, not needing any opinion or insight from anyone else. And when you are prideful and arrogant like that, you become blind to the callousness of your own heart. Jesus says, I have come into the world so that those who can see may become blind. The book of Proverbs chapter 14, 12 puts it a different way. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Where do you find it easy to judge others? Where do you find yourself not even being willing to listen to the voices and insights and opinions of other people? Now, that's a pretty deep question, and often it requires a lot of time spent in self-reflection. And so, to help us get to that point, a question of first order might be in store. The question is this, where do you find yourself getting angry or frustrated often? What gets you all riled up these days? Is it the way people continue to respond to this drawn-out pandemic, to wearing or not wearing a mask, to getting a vaccine or a booster or not? Is it the political views of your neighbor with a fill-in-the-blank 2024 bumper sticker? Is it your chosen career path or change in career path? Is it the way that your roommates or spouse handle the household chores? Is it the religious attitude or perspectives of the people in your community group? Is it the ridiculous things that your parents or your children say? See, it's in these dark corners of our hearts where we think that we see and we know and we understand where the world and our own sinfulness whisper, you don't need any help. You can see clearly. You know what's going on. And the truth of the gospel is that either Jesus makes you all new or you stay the same old self. Because if you think that you see rightly in one area, that whisper begins to infect other areas of your life until you think you see everything rightly, and you sit and judge others until you are alone and you are isolated, and as Proverbs said, you are dead. If you think you can see, 
the gospel first tells you you are blind. But the good thing is, knowing that you're blind is the exact place you need to be because the blind are healed and worship. The blind are healed and will worship. The blind man who was healed in our passage was not confused ever at any point in any of these conversations. It was very simple to him what had happened. And the Pharisees want him to make some serious declarations about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but he replies simply, verse 15, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. End of story. For his whole life up until this point, the man could not see. As a child, he had to rely entirely upon the help of his parents. And as a young man and as an adult, he had to rely entirely on the generosity of others who he would never be able to see, could never look them in the eye and thank them for any support financially that they had given to him. He also had to sit and endure the jeering and judgment of people looking on as he sat blind. Most people in this time, like the Pharisees, believed that if you were suffering, it was because of some sin. Verse 34, the Pharisees declare, you were born in utter sin. And so it's most likely that anyone who saw him thought or even said out loud, you got what you deserved. You are of no value because of your sin or the sin of your parents or the sin of your grandparents. And so, yes, this miracle of Jesus opening his eyes is a sight healing, but the truth is that Jesus has changed this man's entire life. Everything about him is new. No more utter dependence upon people. Gone are the days of dark loneliness and questions about his sinfulness and the possible deeds of his parents or grandparents. He will be able to see the people who have helped him. He will be able to look them in the eyes and thank them for their support. He will be able to see the tears on the face of his parents now that he can see. Jesus has healed him, yes, and changed his entire life. This miraculous sign uh, and its consequences in the man's life are a snapshot of the heavenly reality of salvation. We've said that the, John, the gospel writer, records these miracles that Jesus performs in order to give us windows through which we can peek into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus' comment here, I have come that the blind might see, is on the surface about the miracle that he just performed, about allowing a man who is blind from birth to be able to see, but the depth of Jesus' statement lies in the fact that he is talking about the new life he offers through His death and resurrection. To all of us, this is offered, because we are all blind due to our sin. Our sin, our inability to keep God's law, our propensity to turn from God to worship other things, any other things, especially ourselves. And our sin has actually left us in a far more dire state than blindness. It has led us down the path to death. But God would not just let us walk ourselves to that death. Jesus, who is God, became man, and He lived a perfectly sinless life, obeying where each one of us fails. 
healing and showing people the beauty and the grandeur of the kingdom of God. But he was unjustly arrested, horribly tortured, crucified on a cross, and he died. But then he rose again. He took the death that our sin deserves so that we might receive the life that he earned, not just new eyes, new life. And here's the thing, all you need to do is receive it. All you need to do to receive it is know that you're blind, to declare to God, I have made myself blind through my sin. You have to know that you're dead and that you have no hope of changing that. You must rely on the actions of another. Just like believing you can see, knowing that you're blind and coming to Jesus for healing begins to infest the rest of your life with this new life, with this healing, and it changes you. This encounter shows us a picture of what new life does to those who have been healed by Jesus. It shows us what happens after you receive it. Instead of judgment and skepticism, it becomes humility and worship. Over the course of this conversation, this man's understanding, the one who was healed, his understanding of Jesus changes. Last week when he came back to his neighbors and they asked, who healed you? His response was, the man Jesus. When the Pharisees ask at the beginning of this passage who he thought Jesus was, his understanding has changed. He says he is a prophet. By verses 27 and 28, he already counts himself as a disciple of Jesus, meaning he sees Jesus as someone who is worthy to be followed with all of his life. And a little later on in the discussion, he tells the Pharisees, we know this man is sent from God for he was able to heal me. And at the end of the passage, when the Jews have kicked him out of the synagogue, banned him for blasphemy, Jesus comes to him and asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? The healed man responds, verse 36, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. The man replied, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Being healed of your blindness creates humility in you. Humility in the sense of a rightly ordered worldview. I have done nothing to heal myself. I am utterly dependent upon the healer. And it leads you to worship the one who healed you. George Matheson uh, was an uh, author and a pastor in Scotland in the 19th century. And he uh, was well revered among his people. But when he was a middle-aged man, he began to lose his eyesight. And at the time, he was engaged, and his fiancée, realizing what kind of life would be ahead of her, broke off their engagement and told him, I do not wish to live with a blind man. He went to live with his sister, who helped him care for himself learn what life would be like as a blind man, and he continued to preach, continued to minister, continued to write. And just as things were starting to feel settled in his life, his sister got married, who would no longer be able to live with her. She would not be able to care for him the way she had the previous years. Everything was about to change. 
But on the night of her wedding, as he recalled the pain of his own broken engagement and simultaneously the faithfulness of God to him, he wrote the hymn, O love that will not let me go. Being told or reminded that you are blind might be painful and unpleasant. It might dredge up painful memories of past hurt that you have caused or damage that you have done, but the gospel of Jesus proclaims you have been healed. So let us worship the one who has healed us. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground their blossoms red, life that shall endless be. Pray with me. O God, we come before you this morning hearing for the first time or being reminded that we are blind, that we have no hope in healing ourselves, and yet that is the one thing you extend to us, hope. Hope that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is not only healing for our blindness, but life for our deadness. I pray that we would be honest with ourselves to see the places where we have become arrogant, where we think we see, and as Jesus proclaims, we are actually going blind. I pray that you would send your Spirit to us to renew us, to heal us, to grow humility in us and worship in us. I pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.